the Ramchal and Derech Hashem brings down a lot of details. You know, and ultimately what the Ramchal is speaking about is the plan, is the, the entire plan of creation. You know, <clears throat> part of the problem is when you learn the Ramchal or you learn anything that has a lot of details, you get lost. You get lost in the details, you know. Uh, and after a while, you know, it's just one detail after another that is loosely connected. And you don't really see, you know, how it's organized. That's why in many ways it's critical to organize the material first as a map. And then each area or idea or category, you see them, you see, and then you begin to realize that all the details really fit into categories, <coughs> you see. They fit into, you know, into major categories. And they, these categories organize the details. Therefore, what I, I, I had to do is that, <clears throat> just f uh, as part of this, because Ramchal is really going to go very much into detail, the concept of judgment, God's judgment and so on, is just to give you that there are really, if you really think about it, there are at least eight categories which are overall headings of which really all these details will really go under. And that's really the best way to remember it, you see. <clears throat> so <clears throat> uh, I'm going to give you that. It's like a map. Okay, so the first idea, topic, category, is called man and everything about him. Man means Jews, non-Jews, you know, but it actually means more than man, it means entities or living forms, right? That includes animals, it includes all living forms in creation. So that's category one. But obviously the one that we're concerned mostly, obviously, is mankind. And of mankind, we're concerned with Jews. So that's category one, <coughs> is mankind. <coughs> The second category, after mankind, okay, is that mankind has been given a task, a job. So you have the individual, let's call him the subject. He has to do something. He has a certain requirement, a certain job. So then there's a whole concept of the task, you see? And then there's a lot of details that goes into the task. What does he have to do? Okay. Then the third idea, <coughs> is that the task itself must be free. Free will. Bechira. Free will. That he has to be able to do the task, right, and be a true cause of doing the task. He is the one responsible. So then you have the whole area called free will. You see? Where he's not compelled to do anything by God. He is given a certain measure where he can do what he wants without any limits in a certain sense and certainly God does not impose his will. The fourth idea, okay, he's got free will to do the task, right? But wait a minute. But what God did is not just give him free will. God gave him what's called drives. You see, he's got drives to do either one side of the task or the other. We know that, of course, to be Yetzirah and Yetzirah You know, 
<clears throat> but what they really are is inclinations or drives, <coughs> you know, and so on. So that itself is a whole topic, you know. What is the Yetzirah? What is the Yetzirah? You know, how do they interact with man? You see, what can they try, what can they drive man to? You see, to where? So that's the whole area of the Yetzirah, Yetzirah, the concept of drives. You see, I once mentioned why a person has to have a drive, you know, because like this, a guy would just sit down and say, you know, I don't have to do anything. He has to be driven. You know, if a person didn't have hunger, for instance, would he ever eat? You know, we eat because we're driven to eat. We get hungry, you see. So there are all kinds of drives. Very important. You know, it's drives force a guy to choose and therefore to take a certain direction and either to do the task or to not do the task. That's the concept of a drive. In other words, there's no such thing as neutral. You are driven. You are driven either inside A or inside B. That's why the concept of Yitzrois, as they call them, the inclinations or the drives, is critical. Then, that's, that's, that's the fourth topic. Then you have the fifth topic, topic which is okay. You, know, you have man, right? You have the free will, the task, the drives. What does he do? That's the concept of the act itself, or the deed. That a person can do <clears throat> many different types of deeds. That itself is an entire topic. What are the deeds that a person can do? What are the possibilities in terms of what he does? See? That's all under the concepts called act. That's number five. Then we have number six. So besides the concept of act, what are the results? What happens if you do this act? What happens if you do that act? Those are the results of his actions, you see. So that's another category, which is again very important. And we find that, right, in a general way, that the acts of man has repercussions not only in the physical world, but in the spiritual worlds. And that's really the major concern. Those are called results of his acts. You see. Then after that, okay. So the guy did something because he was driven. It's all free, you know. And did he adhere to the task or not? But then there's the concept called consequences. Well, he did something. These are the results. Aha. Uh -huh. But what's the consequences? What are consequences? <clears throat> By who? By God. The whole concept of judgment are consequences. You see? In other words, God looks at the results, what he did, with free will, and so on. And God says, okay, I need to examine exactly what this person did, and based on what he did, I will now offer consequences. The whole concept of the judgment of God, which is Angus HaMishpat, the whole concept of mishpat, which is judgment or justice, is all about in the topic called consequences. It's a huge topic. Because the question is, how does God judge a person? Right? And what are the possibilities of the judgment of God? Based on what principle? Does God judge one way, or he judges another way, and so on? It's a huge topic. In fact, most of our lives, right, revolve around what? the results of our deeds, 
but in many ways the consequences of judgment of God. What happens to a person? Is he wealthy? Is he sick? Right? Is he successful? Is he a failure? It's all part of the judgment of God. You see? So we want to understand that. That's a huge topic. You see? And then the last topic, and there are more subdivisions and so on, the last topic is what? Is what's the ultimate consequence, which is ilm habo, the future world. You see? There you are. Those are eight different categories uh, that we can organize everything the Ramchal says in those eight categories. So that's a map. It's a good road map to begin to understand what's going on. So therefore, all the details of the Ramchal either fit into what? Who is the entity called man? Right? And that's huge, right? What is the task of man that God has assigned? You see. And then, the concept of what? Of free will. Why is there free will? Drives. Why are there drives? See, what are the deeds that a person can do? What are the results? And what are the judgment, the consequences of what he does? You see? And what does all of this have to do with Oilam Habo, the future world? Which ultimately, when you look at the whole thing, in this big scenario, Oilam Habo is called purpose. The whole point of all previous seven topics is the purpose of creation, which is to get you into Oilam Habo, which is really the whole purpose. This is the whole consciousness of God to get people into Ilm Habo. Okay? Therefore, what I've done is organize, right, every topic based on that. You see. Now, there are other, also many other topics which especially uh, were prominent in the beginning, the first Chaylet, you know, on the entities, well, there's man, there's the animals of this earth, right? But then there are entities called angels. You see? Then there's the greatest of all entities is God. You see? So on the entities, right, we would look at God, angels, man, how do they all fit? You see? How do they all interrelate? So everything that Ramchal says, I believe, ultimately can go under one of these categories. You see? Now on the task, what would we put? Mitzvahs. The whole concept of Avoida, the service, all goes under the task. And you see? And it's interesting that the Ramchal wrote Svarim on each of these ideas. You know? Like the Mesila Sisharim, for instance. Right? The Mesila Sisharim. You know? The Path of the Just and so on, right? Which is a whole book on Musa. Right? Or the path that you must do. Where does that fit? Task. That whole safe of Mesilat Shalom goes in the category called task. You see. So therefore, uh, hopefully with this kind of categorization and structure, we now can have a, uh, what do you call it, a feel of where everything seems to belong. You want to hear something? This whole map fits under what category? Meaning? The whole map fits under what? What categories? I mean, this, you, you just gave us eight categories. Yeah. What do they fit under? <clears throat> God's plan. <coughs> That's called Hashkafa? What is, what is that called? No. 
or God's plan is called Ashkafa. Yeah. That's what the whole thing fits under. God's plan. And then you have eight different ideas or topics that fit under his plan. That he has to create man, task for the man, free will, drives, deeds, um, and then you have the results of those deeds, then you have the consequences, which is the whole concept of judgment, you know, then you have the future world, the future, future world. But Kabbalah is in... Ah, but Kabbalah is... is where? Oh, where does Kabbalah fit? Because remember, I said everything fits. No, no. Ah, because when you, when you think about that, uh, like I said, you know, uh, this, <coughs> as part of the entities, subjects the, that exist, you know, there's God, right? So there's God, this is the plan. What's the ultimate plan? How to get you to the number eight, which is Ilm Haba, right? How do you get a guy, right? So consequences, um, would you ask which... which? Kabbalah is results or consequences? No, no, I'm, I'm not going to put Kabbalah aside for one minute. So the anhogus of God, the behavior of God, or his conduct, right? Remember I once mentioned that there are, there are, there are several, uh, that God's behaviors can be organized in three ideas. One, the setup. And the setup is man, the task, the free will. You see, that's, that's a setup. Remember, you know? Then I said there was anhogus amishpat, which is the attribute or the behavior of God when he judges. That's consequences. See, then I said there's that what's called Anhogus Hayichud, which is the guarantee or the backup plan that man will get into Olim Haba, and that is also consequences. You see, one of the consequences of man's behavior is either God can judge him, or, right, that's the concept of judgment and justice, or he can enable the guy to get into Olim Haba by a different means, which is a backup system. But that's also consequences. Now, Kabbalah, right? Kabbalah is the concept of the interaction. How does God interact with this creation? You see, it, it, you know, it's, it's in a certain sense, when God wants to interact with the world, right, how does he do it? And the answer is that he emits forces, and those forces are spheres, they can create realities, right? And then the reality itself has many different divisions and so on. But ultimately what it is, is the, uh, the, the, you see, let's put it this way. Task would have two things, subdivision. Task would be what's the, the staging, the background, right? And then in that, the, which is the entire, it's like, it's like actors acting on a stage. Well, there's a whole background to the, what they act, you see? So the task must have a background in order for man to do his task, you see? So A, what is the background? And B, what is the task within that background? Part of the background is the physical universe and the spiritual universe, you see, in order for man to do his task. Actually, theoretically, you could say that there are nine areas like a I could make those two divisions, right? One is the entire background of man, both physical and spiritual. And the second, another, and another topic would be the actual task within that setup. So actually, your question is very good. 
because and, and not only that, I you you prompt me to make a, a ninth category because it's so big that it does justify, you know. So you have man or entities, then you have the bria, the setup, which is the spiritual universe is Kabbalah, the physical universe is science, all the scientific disciplines which study the whole physical universe, right? And then, of course, then the interconnection. Then you have the task of man within that backstage, you see? And then you have the free will, the drives, you see? So actually, um, I, I would make nine categories, yeah. And Kabbalah would fit in number two. So all that would be under God's plan. All of this is kids God's plan, yeah. Yeah. So these nine different categories is all under God's plan, yeah. And now you can subdivide any chokhmah, any of the ideas of the Ramchal. Well, this topic is in here, this topic is here, and you don't get lost. I just give you a compass, or I should say a GPS. In fact, GPS would be God's plan systematized. A GPS. How's that sound? See? But I find this subdivision, this division of God's plan very useful. Because I don't get confused. Because when I'm talking about one thing, I say, wait a minute, what's he really talking what about? What's the area he's talking about? You see? And, and so on, you know? I find it very useful. Or else it's just like a thousand, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, you give a thousand pieces to a guy, he could put it together, right? What's the first thing he asks for? Was the box. They always ask for the box. Right? Why? Because the box has the whole, all the pieces organized. The picture. See? And um, what's very important, it's very important in terms of method, you know, before you enter any area that has a thousand pieces, right? Don't even begin to assemble the pieces. Try to figure out what the box is. Because you're going to need it, you see? So that's what I would say. So these nine categories on the God's plan, right, uh, is, is really the, the picture of all these thousands of details that the Ramchal is approaching in Derech Hashem and in Das Tunis. doesn't make a difference, you see? Good. Any other questions? Okay. Now, <clears throat> so the Ramchal says something very important, and now you see where it all fits, right? Of all these things, all these nine categories, which is the greatest and most important category? In other words, which category determines every other category? We're looking at determinant or cause. That's what you always zero into. In other words, I call it the foundational concept. Every area that you can talk about has one idea that encompasses the details of everything. Find that idea. Not easy. Find that what's called the foundational concept. It is the foundation of the whole structure and then that foundational concept is now subdivided 
into many ideas and that's how you create an entire building you see you could do that in the area anywhere <coughs> in Torah doesn't make a difference you see anywhere in here in Halacha find a foundational concept should I give you an example Moed, Shabbos. What's the foundational concept of Shabbos? And then we, we'll, we'll look at it in Hashkofa. What is that one idea that is central or foundational to the whole Seder Moed, which is Shabbos, Erevin, Psachim, Shkolem, Yoimo, Rosh Hashanah, Chagigo, Beitzah, Highness, money cotton, Chagigo, Dalivat Sukkah? Yeah. What is the foundational concept? Think. It's not easy. I want the one idea that embraces the whole Sedemoyed. Once you find that idea, then you can begin to see how everything else fits. Who? The time. time. Good. It's not total, but it's certainly part of it. Time. time. You know? But uh, it's basically two ideas. That's it. Time. And what you do in that time. Activity. And activity. There you are. It's activity that is governed by time. Either being required or forbidden. Regulated. That's it. <coughs> Regulated. That's it. It's amazing that the whole Seder Moed, the whole area, which is all the holidays, right? Is only, it really, it's only governed by just two ideas, time and the activity that is regulated by time, either being forbidden or required. That's it. You see? And once you have that, then of course you can subdivide, well, there's a seventh day called Shabbos, and then there's a 15th day of Nisan called Pesach, and so on. And all of these things have activity, required or forbidden, governed by time. You see? Hashkafa. Out of the nine categories that I've given you, which is the most important? Which is the idea that governs all the other eight? Bechira. No. Men. Who? Men. Man? No. Seven more. Seven more. <laughs> Come on, guys. Stop sleeping. Which is it? I gave you nine of them, right? Should I repeat the nine? Well, I'm about the final result. Bingo. Exactly. Uh, the, the ultimate purpose of creation is the experience in Oilam Habo. <coughs> that governs everything. <coughs> it governs the type of entity, which is man. Right? The <coughs> task, the setup, right? The free will, the, uh, what do you call it, the, uh, the acts and the drives, right? It governs everything. What do you want to do with the God? What do you want in the end? <coughs> and that will govern everything. That's why Oilam Habo is critical to study. 
Because in the end, that's what determined everything. You see. You know? Got it? That's the concept. Soif machshava. Right? Exactly. In the beginning it was Ilam Habo. Everything follows from that. You see? And therefore you can begin to put it together, you know? In the beginning, what the what does the Russian want in Ilam Habo? Which is uh, and Ramchal says that, you know. Hence the ultimate end of all his involvements is a tranquility in the world to come. He actually says it. That's what determined everything. You see? <clears throat> and in the end, what is Ilam Haba? What she said, we know, right? In the end, what Ilam Haba is, right, is a, an experience which is the greatest of all experiences in terms of its goodness. And what is that? Attachment to God. It's called Vekus. That is the greatest of all goods. And that's what God wants. To create a situation in which somebody, something, is going to connect to him. And that experience, which is called vacus, clinging or attachment, is the greatest of all. There you are. Now God's got to say, okay, who is it going to be? What's it going to be? How's it going to be? You see? What's the setup that I have to do? You see? And what God is always considering is this, which is interesting. How do I get a guy into Ilam Habo, not withstanding the fact that this guy really has free will? And if he has free will, he's not going to get there by himself, you know? He's going to choose to do, not to do the task, which is evil, whatever. I always got to think of how to get the guy into Ilam Habo. Think about that. Interesting. You see, so God had to create an entire series of behaviors to get a guy into Ilam Habo. Because the guy's not going to be able to get there by himself. So those are called assisting devices. You see? So in terms of consequences, there's judgment and there is assisting devices. You see? Then the whole thing unfolds like this. You see? Now, what is the greatest experience a man has? What is the greatest experience you can have, really? What do you think? In this world or the next world? In any world. The Tell me. Is <clears throat> what? <clears throat> Not really. What is the greatest experience you can ask for? Being God. Who? Being God. <laughs> <laughs> No. You're missing the fundamental idea. The greatest experience an individual can have is to be. You guys are ignoring the fact that existence itself is the greatest experience of all. Think about that. Can any top, anybody can top existence? No. Because the, the, the opposite of existence is non-existence. Yes? Therefore, the greatest experience that you have already is existence itself. It's a game changer. You see? Because all those things or people that don't exist ain't. ain't. 
would have. Now, with an existence itself, right? That's that's called the the, the you know the um, there's existence and non-existence dichotomies. The greatest type of existence once you exist is God, is attachment to God. So that's it. Oidim Haba is a place that you are, and the type of are is attachment. That's it. You can't beat those two things. You see? So based on that, the Rav decided everything. I want to make things exist, and I want them to exist in Oidim Haba which is fundamentally a pace, place that they can attach to me. You see? And that will now determine everything. You see? So therefore, he creates an individual, right, that can attach to him, that can exist, and is capable, has the capacity to attach to God. You see? And then, but God makes a major decision, which we know. What is a major decision? You know, there's a problem here. If I make him exist, right, and I give him that attachment, there's a problem called Nahamadik Sufa. This is the problem of man's existence. Nahamadik Sufa is bread of shame, you see. And therefore, he will experience that. And I gave a whole Shia on what Nahamadik Sufa is, what bread of shame is. It's a whole Shia, right? But that's a central idea because that altered the status of man. Because of the concept of Nahmadik Sufa, bread of shame, that a person will feel an incredible sense of inferiority if he in no way contributes to being in Oilam Habo, the future world attached to God. Because of that incredible experience of inferiority, right? Therefore, God has to now rearrange everything. It's got to give him a task, got to give him a free will, got to give him a drive, results, consequences, you see? So the, 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 that concept of Namadik Sufa altered everything. It altered everything. It's fundamental how it altered the whole creation had to change because of the sense of inferiority a person has when he is not master of his own fate. You see. So, what I'm doing is, you can begin to see the whole thing, how it builds. Right? So the first idea is the future world and attachment to God. Which means two things. Existence and the type of existence. Then the second thing you begin to think about, right, is that there has to be some type of a subject, right, who has the capacity to do this. And then the third thing, which interferes with everything, is the concept of the shame, the inferiority, if a person is placed into Oilam Habo directly or immediately. You see? And that brings you, of course, to the fourth idea. Uh-oh. You know? I have a future world. I have man. I have the bread of shame, which is an incredible sense of inferiority. So obviously now there has to be two things going on. There has to be an Oilam Hazer, which is the preparation, where you will remove Namdik Sufa, and then there has to be the Oilam Haba, which is now the whole point of everything. You see? It's really a very logical sequence. <clears throat> you see? 
And then everything else basically fits under that, fits under those ideas, you see. And each one is a whole study in itself, you see. Okay, any questions? I couldn't. Uh, Who? You probably addressed this in the Shira Namrik Sufa, but I missed it. Why couldn't Hashem just remove this emotion of Nam of shame, uh, the human consciousness? Yeah, I, I addressed that, and you were right. I addressed I it. Yeah. I, I like to go back to it. I'll go back. Yeah, you got to go. I gave a whole Shira on that uh, sometime in May. I swear posted. I, I, yeah, it, it, it's posted. I'm sure I, I'll be posted. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, very important Shia. Because that's the whole rationale of why there has to be two places. Or else why would we have to have two places? You see? Besides Nam and Iksufa, the whole need to have a place where you earn reward, it jeopardizes. Uh, because your reward depends on what you did. And if you didn't do the job, you don't get anything, as we will see. There are consequences to a person's act. If a person is thoroughly evil, you know, he disappears. It's called annihilation, you know. What's the opposite of Ilum Habo? What's the opposite of the future world? So some people think it's Ganem. No, it's annihilation. You either exist or you don't exist. That's really all it is, you know. You've got to work your way into a place that has eternal existence. The opposite of that is you don't exist at all, which God can easily arrange, you know, and which he does arrange, you know, which we begin to see, see, uh, you know. But th those are the only two alternatives there are. There is no third alternative. Gehenim is not an alternative. Neither is Gan Eden. There are temporary gaps or temporary stations along the way. But ultimately, end, there is nothing else. There is Oilam Habo, and, you, and you're in it, or you don't exist, and therefore you're nowhere. How about bad existence? Isn't that worse? Shouldn't that be like the opposite? That what? If Olam Abba is existence, but the best type of existence, the opposite of Olam Abba should be existence, but the worst type of existence. Well, why would God do that? <laughs> why would he do that? <laughs> why would he do that? <laughs> In other words, it's an eternal Gehenna. As far as I know, the only, one, the only ones who believe in an eternal Gehenna are the Christians. Right? Because they say, right, they say what? That if you do, if you don't believe in him and all that stuff, right? You will, it's, you will burn in purgatory, right? Eternally, right? They're the only religion that I know that has an eternal purgatory. But why would God do that? <clears throat> it doesn't make any sense. Why? Because there is nothing that you could do. Even Hitler, if you added up the evil that this man did, I mean, it's astounding what he did. But even he doesn't go on eternally in purgatory in Gehenna. Nothing can get you in Gehenna eternally. Right? It doesn't make sense. That's infinite. There's no such thing as an evil that's infinite. It can be very bad, you know. There's no such thing as an infinite evil or eternal evil. So the whole idea is nonsense. You see? But not only that, why would God do that to a guy? You know? A guy's going to beg God, please take me out of existence. You know, oh, oh, give me this internal, this, this internal damnation. It doesn't make sense, you know. So that's it. Either you're in Olam Habo or you are nowhere. And that's it, you see. So therefore God has to think of how to get you into Olam Habo. That's a great deal of his thinking process, by the way. 
you know. <clears throat> the what? Find what he said about eternal damnation. The truth is that coming from a point of where Hashem was coming from, where nothing is on the on the table, Hashem created it all. So if you have eternal bliss, is not warranted either. Eternal bliss is not what? Eternal bliss is not warranted in the first place either. No, exactly. So Hashem, quote unquote, jumped through hoops, so to speak, to get us to eternal bliss. Correct. So then what is the, so so he easily could have done eternal damnation as well. Theoretically, Uh, that was, I'm not trying to be, I know, but still. We, 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 we all love to see Hitler burning your head for all eternity. Well, we're, we're enjoying all of Mahabur for eternity. We'd love to see Hitler burning for eternity. I mean, for some people, that is the Royal Mahabur, watching it burn eternally. That is their eternal, yeah. Hashem is not an Yeah, because in the end, God is toiv. This is very important. In other words, the garb or the costume that God has decided to adapt in other words, he has adapted a certain characteristic profile. You see? And his profile is toiv. You know? For a being that's infinitely toiv, good, he's not going to put somebody through eternal purgatory, eternal Gehenim. You know, you know what I'm saying? And uh, therefore, why would he do that kind of stuff? But the point you raise is very important. No good can be eternal in and of itself. You're right. Just like there's no evil that can be eternal... There's no good that can be eternal. You know what I'm saying? I don't care what you do. Whatever you do, it can never justify an eternal future world, paradise, whatever you want to call it, right? But that's what happens when God decides, I'm going to step out of line, right? Because my characteristic is toiv, and I'm going to elevate something which would have ended, you know, if, you, if it had a value. You could say, let's say Moshe Rabbeinu, right? He was incredibly toiv. So it'll go on for 100,000 years. His Oilam Haba will go on for 100,000 years. And that's it. There's no things in eternal. There's no eternal Oilam uh, Haba based on any good deed. I don't care what it is. But that's where the toiv comes in. You see? In fact, that's the concept of ultimate chesed. You see? So the chesed of God, actually there's several chasadim of God. But the kindness of God is that he gives you a reward which is finite. And he will give you the reward infinitely. That already borders on his chesed. And there are several things which God did that purely stem from chesed. In other words, there's no rhyme or reason why they should happen. One of them, what? You still flip the switch. At the end of the day, you still flip the switch. Yes. No, but even if you flip the switch, so what? All it means is that you cause the good. Right? But whatever good you did, which you caused... Why, why do you get an infinite reward? A reward that never stops. It doesn't make sense. No good is worth that much. But that's already, like I say, part of the chesed of God is that he said, there's certain things because my profile is goodness, I will allow you to enjoy uh, what you did, good, right? Infinitely and eternally. It will never end. That's an unbelievable chesed of which we, we are... <clears throat> astounded by that type of goodness because it has no rational it has no basis in rationality because God can say okay I like what you did 
I'll give you a hundred thousand years of Ilam Habo. Right? And that, that's it. You know, okay, a hundred thousand years. You got far more than you, you know, whatever. And it's over with, you know. But he never said that. That's the what a deal that is, you know. Unless you say that, that you can't, you can't, you can never fulfill that Olam Haba in its entirety if you have looming a looming shadow of non-existence. Meaning, it's a meaning unless you say a lot, there's a logical rationale as well. Hashem, so to speak, Kaviyach is forced to give something infinite Olam Haba. Otherwise, it'll always be that shadow of impending non-existence. So what? So what? The, you don't deserve has, more. No, because right now he can't enjoy his own habo. Sure he can. Okay. Everybody knows they're going to die someday, right? They, believe me, a lot of guys are enjoying their life. Yeah, that's only because they... Not did, thinking about the day of death. That's death. only because they're that, because, It's only because they're, no, they're they, no, no, no. God would allow you in your mind to ignore that. Just like now. Most, most people do not think that they're going to die. Now you have sheker, so you're able to ignore something. No, so I'll give you the sheker there. Believe me, he can give you the ability to ignore the fact that you only got 100,000 years to go. <laughs> Think about that. Okay? No. How do you reconcile that with Vinicius? You know, you only, get, you, know you, you only get nervous, right? In the 99,999 year. That's where you get nervous, you know? Fine, okay. But that's a long time to worry about this, you know? And you think about it, well, the average guy lives, what, 80, 90 years? I'll buy, right? That's a lot less than 100,000 years. You know, me, my, most people, they live life. You know, they don't think about the day of death. You know what I'm saying? They just they accept can. it. They don't, their mind doesn't look no, no, they, they, they don't because everybody, they've accepted the fact that this will not go on forever, that after, you know, whatever decades it's over with, and they, and they carry on with their life. They resign themselves to that fate, don't worry about it, and finish. You know, same thing with Ayn Mambo, you know? Anyway, yeah. How do you reconcile that with Vinisca Hashem Evadoi that there's the, the 8,000 year well, Hashem, Hashem is alone, there's nothing else? <clears throat> no, not that he's alone. No, that's not what it means. It means that in the 8,000th year, actually in the 7,000th year, right now <clears throat> we, see in, we see people and they're all important, right? But in the 7,000th year we realize that everybody is a zero. That's what it means. It means God doesn't show that He is not only absolutely one, but He's the only one. Everybody else, you don't realize what a zero you are. You see, you'll have a major break, mental breakdown, if you realize what a zero you are. You see, and, and, and so right now we see there are important people. You know, <clears throat> they're at Sadiqam and they all look like they're important and they all look like there's somebody. You see, <clears throat> in the 7,000th year, when it says, on that day, what it means is that all of a sudden the reality of, of zeroness, there's such a word, the reality that you and everybody else, including Moshe Abenu, Rabbi Akiva, the Tanoim, they're all zero. See, right now they look like they have what's called a fanem. They look like they, they, they are somebody, you see? That they are men of substance, you see? But there comes a time in reality that you realize that everybody is zero. We don't understand that. And then God, then you, you realize the reality of God is that He's the only thing that exists, really. And in some way you emanate. 
that you have no position of reality, really. Not that you have a position in reality of some sort. You have no position, you see. And therefore, all Tanoim, Amaroim, and Ovas, Nevi'im, prophets, you know, you realize that the whole thing is zero, is nothing. That's what it means of Hashem. No, but it doesn't mean you disappear. It means that you've connected to reality, you see, of the absolute nothingness of everybody. What? Yes, no. More. Did they realize this concept? Yes. That's what they were talking about? Okay, yes. That's what Moshe Bayan realized. Vanachnu more. What are we? Nothing. That's what he realized. In other words, he, only, he had an incredible perception of absolute reality, where there is nothing else. You see? And that's, you experience that idea in the 7,000th year. After the Mashiach is over, at the year 6,000, which is the English year 2240, then the world just changes, right? And all of a sudden we realize that everybody that we thought that were men of reputation, you know, Khashiva people, you know, nothing. There is no Khashivas at all in the ultimate reality. And that's the beginning of the preparation for eternal reward. Because it is that understanding of reality that there's only God and you attach to the real reality, right? That's really what the ultimate reward is. As long as you think that maybe you're somebody, or Moshe Rabbeinu is somebody, that is a, that is a, a, what do you call, a blockage in understanding that God is the only reality. You see, you know? So Eilabos starts only after a year? Well, I, well there's 6,000 and the whole world ends from six to 7,000, right? Then the physical universe changes. Remember the whole concept of zikuch where the whole physical universe becomes spiritual. But the soul, but the individual who's physical and has an ishama soul, doesn't change. His change begins in the 8,000th and the 9,000th year, 2,000 years. By the time the end of the 8,000 years, which is the beginning of the 9th, that's when the individual becomes completely spiritual. And that's the beginning of Oilam Haba. Oilam Haba begins in the 9,000th year. That's why it says we are Syria Kodesh. And the tenth, referring to uh, Taith, will be hell holy. And therefore, that's when a person changes. And Oilam Haba begins in the ninth thousandth year. But it does make a difference. As soon as the Mashiach hits, this charade, this nonsense that goes on is over. That Just that the transformation takes time. It means with the with the concept called um, illusion, there are madregas. Because well, in the end, you have an illusion. Here, you started here. What, at the what, end of the day, you're starting at a different point than Moshe Rabbeinu. Yes, but you never. Okay, so therefore, what? So What's the question? You see Rabbeinu, yeah. He'll be there, unless it's all internal. It's internal. Meaning, you'll just see everybody as. Yeah. Except you don't know what the guy's experiencing internally. But Vegas is a very subjective, a very subjective experience. You don't know what the other guy's doing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but it's internal, you know? 
uh, I, I don't see it as having, you know, uh, an external display where he's in some type of humongous palace and you're in some shack. You know what I'm saying? I understand it's not that's only a muscle. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, you know. <laughs> but anyway. You're burned by Yenem's Yeah, but that's only initially, you know. And then after a while, it was. Imagine being burnt forever by his chuppah. Then Oyle Muhammad's Gehenim. I mean, well, you know, what's the whole point of eternally being burnt or embarrassed by the other guy's uh, place, you know? Then, you know, you might as well call Gehenim and not Oyle Muhammad. You know, obviously, you know, so, you know. But anyway, so these are a, a, very, a lot of the very important ground rules and, 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 and categories of, of that. But remember, everything is determined, the, the foundational concept is Oyle Habo, right? That determined man. Nam Diksufa determined the different places and the tasks and all that. So the, the most important decision God ever made was two. If you think about that, the first decision God made was, I want to make an Oilam Habo and somebody's got to be in there. That was the first incredible decision. The second incredible decision was, uh-uh, he's got to work for it. That's the concept of bread of shame and inferiority. Those two decisions determine everything, you see. But remember, Nam Sufa, even though it's the second most important decision God ever made, is temporary. Because it's only until we get to Ilam Habo, right? Once you get to Ilam Habo, it's gone. There's no inferiority more. It's just an eternal bliss. You see? So those are the two most important decisions God ever made. You see, you know? Um, you know yeah I mean we'll get into other ideas but you know you can ask a question you know those people who have done it took a great deal of evil for instance you know so God is going to say well you know you can't have me in Oilam Habo because you'll have because uh, you didn't do any good so the guy's going to say listen let me work off my evil fine you know even though I don't have enough good in Oilam Habo right it's true, you know, and therefore I didn't do any good. Once we'll get into that, but a guy can say, Well, listen, you know, the good, any, uh, whatever, uh, you'll erase the evil, right? And the good is gone because I've experienced it in this world. So give it to me for free. You see? So but God will have, say, have, I'll, forget the I'll, I'll, I'll suffer with the Namak Sufa for eternally, but at least I get Ulam Habo. You see? For some reason, God doesn't buy into that argument, <laughs> you know, which is interesting, you know, because I'm sure everybody, you know, it was, guy, the guy would say, listen, you're right, I did an incredible amount of evil, I'll burn it off, whatever that means, right? Okay, so now I'm empty, I have no evil, and the good I got, God will give me the good in this world, so I got nothing, you know, but wait a minute, do me a favor, you know, give me, give me a Mahabha, you know, with Namnik Sufa, right? Because obviously I didn't cause anything, no good, you know? But God does not buy that argument. It's interesting, you know. But so hard. The person, it'll be such an agony that person would rather would rather disappear. You know, I want to tell you some. Fool themselves. Nowadays, people. Do you know how many people there are on welfare? But they fool themselves. They think they're you, you know what? You know, you know what's an, what's they, a way? They make excuses, or they or, they, or they or they express, or they try to make themselves important, or they blow up their ego, one or the other. No, let me tell you something. You have any idea how many guys are on the take? It's incredible. 
you know how many charities there are and welfare systems and so on. And people live like this for, the, for decades where they're accepting charity every day. You see, you don't find Namadik Sufa by these guys. They're not embarrassed. What? Because they fool themselves. So they fool themselves, my Nabo. And all of Why not? I'm just showing you that people really do not care about Namdik Sufa because there's so many people you know who receive welfare benefits all this kind of stuff you know for, for decades they don't seem to be suffering under inferiority because they never caused it you know and so on, you know. It's interesting. It's an interesting what? Yeah. 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 Wait, wait, wait. What? What? In Om Haba, how do you resolve the the idea? Two ideas. One, that each individual person in Kaliyasra has their own personal Om Haba. Yet, Kal Yisrael is a single unit of Yichud that, that, that has a divakus with the Rebbeinu as well. How how does this result in Olam Haba? This interplay between Yichud, the Yichud of the individual versus the Yichud of the group. Um, you know, uh, there is a connection, obviously, between all the neshamas. So what will happen is is that the yichud of the group or the unification of the group so-called Jew, right, will complement this man and then there's his individual. So the variations won't exist as in the fact that you're part of the group, that's true. There's no variations of that because that's a group, uh, uh, it's a group reward. So in the fact that you're part of the Jewish nation, it's, it's the concept of a national pleasure, you will get that. But what will vary, and that's where you have the variations here, is your individual will now become part of that, so I, it would be two things going on at the same time. Mm. You know, that's how I would see it. The Rose, yeah? The Rose at the beginning of the year, Sutton is 90, we got 98%. Back, yeah. I know, but explain to me though, the body, tragically, the body of the Jewish people, our brethren, <laughs> Doing all the yeah, yeah. Does that give energy? The sun should be the most powerful no. now. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. I want to explain that. No, the only time the sultan can derive energy from the Jewish sin is if that sin is accompanied with free will. All these people that are gone, there's no sin. There's tinish kenishbo. A tinish kenishbo. Even if he sins, it's not considered anything because there's no free will attached. You see? In other words, besides the sin, you have to do it freely. You know, if you do it because you don't know anything, God considers the circumstances. And the circumstances dictate your free will. And in other words, you have the capacity for free will, but you are not exercising free will because you don't know anything. You see? There's no... You're not exercising, there's no choice that you have that I could say, well, I want A instead of B. You know what I'm saying? I mean, in certain things there are, you know, but in most things, certainly in mitzvahs, God doesn't know anything, you know. The only one, basically, who can give Sutton, it's interesting, the only people that can give the Sutton energy 
right, is, uh, is religious people. Haredim. Or B'nai Torah, yeah. You see? That's why the Sutton, his major emphasis to, to make sin are the B'nai Torah, the Haredim, yeah. Because when they sin, they do it with free will. And they're feeding the Sutton. But it's not enough, you see. And so on. You know, I mean, God's got the whole balance here, but uh, they're the only ones that, that are doing it, you see. That's why the Sutton, that's one of the reasons why the Sutton has such a heavy emphasis on making sure that the religious hate each other. Sinas chinam and Lashon Hara, which is rampant, unfortunately, with the Haredim, and there's no unity with the Haredim, you know? Because with the, with the non-Jews, I mean, not with the Jews who don't know anything, who cares? 